Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena Delval, and my guest is Lori Lowe, who is Chief Executive Officer of Ecolo Media. Today we will discuss why content marketing is changing the CMO mandate, five things your team must do differently in 2012. Lori has more than 20 years of experience in marketing communications, developing and executing content strategy for technology clients. At Ecolo Media, Lori primarily consults on comprehensive content strategies and provides a broad range of account management services. Her client work includes planning for content-intensive marketing communications programs, including lead generation and nurture campaigns, thought leadership programs, and new market launches. Over the course of her career, Lori has developed and applied best practices. She hopes offer her clients clear advantage through the development of more effective collateral assets. Lori, welcome. Thank you, Elena. I'm happy to be here. This is a topic that is so timely because, of course, content management, content marketing have become so powerful, perhaps some might say even essential tools. Would you help us start from a very basic definition? How would you define content marketing? Yeah, of course. Content marketing, it is getting a lot of buzz in the last 12 months leading up to, uh, say, April of 2012. And what we're finding is that content marketing is really the use of relevant, customer-focused content to more effectively engage prospects and encourage a deeper understanding with an overall corporate brand. So it's the idea of using content through the variety of channels that are now available to us to attract potential prospects, bring them into the pipeline, have them develop a greater loyalty to your organization, which of course leads to greater revenue opportunity down the line. What channels are we talking about? And I know that because you're doing this on a daily basis, it seems very basic, but for many people, there's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of learning in relation to the channels themselves. Would you help us get our arms around what you're referring to when you talk about channels? Sure. I think there's really three big changes as related to channels that are affecting uh, the, the growth and the intense interest around content marketing. Uh, the first one is the Internet. Uh, obviously, that's been around for a number of years now, but what it did is it really started to make that change in marketing overall from a push marketing uh, uh, expectation to a pull marketing expectation, which means that I can no longer reliably just push information out to prospective customers. I now, uh, as a customer myself and my customers that come to my business, now have the opportunity to actually uh, pull information down from the Internet about me, and I have no control over that. So that was the beginning of a pretty big paradigm shift in understanding how people are now consuming content through these various channels. So the next thing that happened is, you know, fast forward about 10, 15 years, was social media. So social media is uh, from Facebook to uh, Pinterest is trending very, very highly right now to um, uh, Twitter, to LinkedIn, to MySpace, that kind of thing. Those social channels actually started to even drive a greater appetite for engaging with a business through its content. Uh, these people now can get content that they like and interact 
interact with it. They can comment on it. They can actually create their own content now. And so that is even further developed this appetite for pulling content down and interacting with it in the way that you want to. The third thing that really happened to kind of create what we're calling this critical mass of of the interest in content marketing is mobile technologies. So uh, the big thing that's happened in the last two years or so with mobile devices is that the manufacturers have now actually started to develop mobile devices that people like to use. They're actually more easy. It's easier, rather, to get up to the Internet and pull things down. It's easier to visit these social channels and um, share things with friends that you like and with colleagues that you think might find things important. So those three factors have really made these social channels and the Internet itself um, the, the important place where customers are potentially going to be finding content about your business. In terms of this push and pull process that you were talking about and how it's shifted because of the channels in part, if I understand correctly, what more can you tell us as they relate to audience segments? Uh, good question, Elena. As it relates to audience segments, first of all, it's really important to understand your audience segments. It's important to understand them from the perspective of which channels are they using. Um, and there are a lot of factors that can affect that segmentation. It can be age. Age is actually a very relevant one these days. Those of us who are who have been in the industry for a long time, we um, have less affinity and less practice, really. Just a, small, a shorter portion of our lives have been spent using these newer medias and channels, social channels, for example. Um, but there are other segmentations that are important as well in terms of understanding where your audience is. So it requires you to be able to really understand, you know, which of these channels your audience prefers to use and making sure that you have a presence there, that you're playing in that space and communicating in that space and delivering content that's relevant in that space to be able to, to engage with that end user in these um, places that they like to hang out. You mentioned Twitter and Pinterest, which, of course, are booming. Mm -hmm. What can you tell us about those two channels? Um, well, Twitter and Pinterest, you're right. They, they get a lot of attention now because they are booming. Um, but the reality is that they're still a channel. And so it is important for, as marketers, it's important to really, again, make a judgment call about how much your audience is actually using those channels to consume information. Um, and if they are using those channels, to play in that space and put content into that space in a thoughtful way. Um, so with Twitter, um, I found that it's particularly good for alerting people uh, as to when you've got new content that you want to share in some of your other channels, whether it's on the Internet or on your corporate website or you've got a blog or things of that nature. Um, as well as pointing them to or alerting them to content that perhaps you did not create, but that may be third-party content, in other words, but that you think is particularly valuable to them. So I think Twitter is a very good tool to, uh, assuming your audience is there, it's a good tool to be able to uh, drive people to content that you think, that you, that you freshly pointed to or put out that you think is really relevant. 
Um, Pinterest, that's a really interesting one. Um, right now, Pinterest seems to have a lot of uptake for the consumer, uh, consumer businesses or businesses rather that are trying to target consumers, the B2C space. And um, I've seen just a couple of examples of the B2B space doing some interesting stuff with Pinterest. For example, I want to say it was Microsoft actually uh, is doing an interesting thing on Pinterest in which they're asking people to to pin put on their pin board um, their favorite Microsoft products or their Microsoft accessories like mice and headsets and stuff like that. Um, and so it's frankly still in a fairly experimental stage, in my opinion. I think it's interesting that Microsoft tried that or is trying that. We don't have really any results on that right now. Um, but what I can see from Pinterest is, is that uh, it's, it seems to be getting some some good buzz in terms of consumer use, how B2B companies can really use that in a way to drive forward. I'm sure somebody will come up with a pretty good model that will be of interest, but again, we've got to just make sure that our audiences are really playing there from a perspective of wanting to hear content about our businesses. So how do you know if you should be on these channels? Should everybody be on, let's just say, the Internet, social media, and mobile do they all have a should they have a presence in all of these channels and if not how do they decide which ones to focus on another really good question <laughs> um, there's a, this old story about uh, you know it, it, about five years ago if you had a blog for example or if you had a Twitter account or you had a LinkedIn account then you had a social strategy. Well, we found out that that was not true, that just having a presence is not actually as effective as having a strategy that's very thoughtfully delivering content and interacting with the communities represented by these channels. Uh, we're finding that that's really the most important thing. So to understand how or why you should be able to, uh, or whether you should play in some of these spaces, is, is go back to what we had talked about before. Is your audience there? And is your audience going to be receptive to having a conversation with you there? And in terms of understanding whether your audience is really there, think about these. each of these social channels is really a community. Um, there's a community of users there that are currently participating in that actively and sharing content back and forth and pointing things out to each other and, and you know, interacting with stuff in different ways. Um, can, you, can you join that community and participate in it in a meaningful, realistic way? If you just start to sort of insert corporate content into that kind of a channel, you're not going to get the results that you want. Matter of fact, you might get a negative result. Um, so the first thing is understand if your audience is in this channel, and then can you communicate and, and participate in that, in that communications environment in a way that will be meaningful. Um, and then I think the other criteria that you should really look at is what are your objectives in terms of do you have very specific campaign or lead nurture or uh, lead management, lead generation objectives? That's going to change um, your selection of some of the channels. Um, uh, a lot of people would not say that the social channels, for example, are going to be good opportunities for lead generation in general. I think they're great uh, channels to think about in terms of creating loyalty and brand awareness. Um, specific campaign objectives re related to an ROI, for example, or a specific number of leads coming back in. Those are going to be a lot softer and perhaps not as successful as you would like them to be.
at the risk of stating the obvious or asking the obvious, how do you know if your audience is there? If you're selling widgets, whether they're actual physical widgets or service widgets, if you are thinking about entering one of those arenas and developing a program, what is your first step to deciding whether this audience is that you seek is there? Elena? Yes? Uh, I'm sorry, can you repeat that question? Sure. How do you know if your audience is there, wherever it is that you're thinking of having a presence? How do you figure out whether your audience is there? Uh, another very good question. Um, you know it requires some research and it requires some active listening and paying attention to those channels. So I would recommend uh, at least a month listening in and observing all of the channels that you think your uh, target customers may be participating in and just kind of eavesdrop on those conversations. Um, that's what I would do if I had a very specific product uh, product set or line of business or product element. I would want to listen in and find out if uh, folks I'm interested in having a business conversation with are actually participating in these channels. There are also uh, various vendors who provide uh, you know, software platforms where they can do that listening for you. I think if you have the budget to do something like that, that's a great way to get a handle on, on where you should target your focus. But I think um, if you're a company that has you know, limited resources, and you, but you feel that these social channels are of value to you, and you want to potentially begin you know, developing and deploying content marketing strategies into these channels, then you need to get to know them fairly personally. And, and hopefully there's somebody on your team. Now, we're all resource constrained regarding team members and, and money to do this stuff. But if there's somebody on your team who can listen in on those conversations, I think you can bring back some fairly good intelligence around that. Just because your audience is somewhere doesn't mean that they want to engage with you. And recently I read about the millennials and a study that was conducted on Facebook and millennials on Facebook that says that even though they are very active on Facebook, they're not visiting corporate pages and they're not interested in being engaged in a general way. How do you go from knowing that they're there to knowing whether they want to be engaged with you in that forum? Another really good question, Aletta, and here's, here's I think, the way to really tackle that. Um, first of all, it's really understanding that if you do engage, if you do decide that you want to have a presence in one of these social medias, and you're a business, you're a corporation, you need to decide if you can participate in that community in the same way that the other participants will. Can you behave like a consumer, in other words? Can you engage with them in a way that is not around specifically your business, but is about issues at hand that this community discusses and cares about? Um, I think that's a, it's a very important tenet of content marketing in general, but it's, but it's also, I think, very, very important in terms of understanding how these communities work. It's not just that I appear as a presence, uh, so we used the Microsoft example already, so we might as well repeat that. It's not enough to just show up as Microsoft. You have to be able to 
express and truly have an interest in what that community is really talking about. And it's, I have, to, I promise you, it is not about your business. They're talking about um, their own specific problems. If it's a consumer site, they're talking about what's interesting and fun to them or what's going to help them um, manage issues with their children, with their home, with their work, you know, things like that. And so um, if, if it's a community that's interested in business issues, then they're interested in what's going to make them successful as a business. They don't want to hear about what's made you successful as a business. So you've got to make a choice about participating as a member of the community, and that's the way that you can be successful. Somebody said to me that if you were participating in social media, you should be looking at it in the long term as an investment in the long term, and you should be bringing value add. Would you agree with that? Yes, I absolutely would agree with that. Um, It's really about... Participate, participating as a visionary within that community. That's the way that you can start really creating some interest in, in your company on the back end. Is if it, you know, you're going to participate in a way that is, uh, you know, focusing again on the issues that they're concerned about, that you're providing them real specific solutions that help them further what they're working on. That will really make the difference for you. And um, and a lot of companies really have to kind of get their minds around that, that it's not about promoting their business. It's really about having thought leadership. And that's actually where this all comes full circle back to really content marketing. Content marketing is delivering content that engages throughout these channels in a way that that community is very receptive to. And the thing they're receptive to is content that helps them solve their own personal problems or helps entertain and engage them within, you know, the, the community and the environment that they're participating in. So, for example, Elena, I, I can mention Red Bull is a really good uh, corporate brand. That now, granted, it's a B two C brand, but it, it's a very good corporate brand in terms of using social channels to engage with their end users in a way that their end users are very comfortable with. It's a witty brand. It, it tends to focus on younger people. Um, it's about doing wild, crazy things. They do sponsorships with the X Games and things like that. Um, and so the way that they participated in social channels has not been about drink Red Bull. It's been about all the crazy, funny things that the people that kind of follow them have done. And, of course, the, Re- the Red Bull brand is all over that. So you see it's really about brand marketing um, within these social channels more than it is about specifically handing out coupons to go buy a six-pack of Red Bull. Actually, I'm not sure you can purchase a six-pack of Red Bull, but uh, going out there to buy some Red Bull. It's really about engaging deeply with that community around the things that they really find fun and interesting. One of the questions that pops into my head when we're talking about bringing value add and engaging in a way that that's thought leadership that demonstrates thought leadership in the community is how do you interact with competitors because if you are in that community then i have to imagine that there are competitors along with your customers and people who have a different perspective and a different take on the way that you do things. And how do you interact in that medium with them? Say, for example, if we're talking about Twitter, would you retweet something that a competitor tweeted about? 
I think that is a really interesting idea. I, I actually, my feeling is, is if I had something cogent to say, to add around what a competitor was already saying, I would tweet it. I, I would blog about it. I would point to it in a blog. I would, t I would get involved in that conversation, and I would make sure that my distinctive opinion was actually recorded along with that. I would absolutely do it. Um, if I don't have anything cogent to say that adds to the conversation and allows me to add my participation and my brand, the participation of my brand in that community, I would not do it. But, but if I felt that I had something cogent to say, I would do it. And it takes a lot of guts to do something like that because um, people get so concerned about promoting their competitors. But in, as, as I was saying before, in terms of the Internet, the change from a from a push to a pull marketing paradigm, you have no choice. If you're not in the conversation, you are not even on the table. So you've got to have the guts to really go in there and and participate and have something cogent to say. That's the important thing that's going to make you successful with that kind of strategy. So something as simple as retweeting, say, a photo doesn't really make sense, if I'm understanding correctly, because you're not really adding anything that heightens your presence in your brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I would say is is I wouldn't just retweet it. I would perhaps need to, I would want to do a follow-on tweet that would point to me something in my blog or something of that nature that would um, show that I, I'm participating in this conversation. Okay, let's get a little bit into the thick of these five things that we promised our listeners we were going to talk about. What would you <laughs> say they are? Well, uh, the five things that we think are very important uh, for any marketing organization to get a handle on uh, in, in the face of how to, how to really take advantage of content marketing is um, the first one we feel is really think about designating a content curation team. And content curation is kind of a new concept, but here's what it really is about. It's about uh, designating somebody in your organization whose sole task is to identify, develop, and and um, organize content that you can use to go out into the marketplace with. It can be used to, as we said, support lead nurture, lead gen campaigns. It can go into these social channels. It can be on your website. It can be developed into articles that um, you put out via PR and other media, that kind of thing. Uh, but the idea of content curation is that this needs to be happening all the time. There is such a tremendously large appetite for content among uh, business and regular uh, consumer customers that um, you've got to be developing content constantly. Um, now, curation is typically made up of two things. One is uh, just sourcing third-party content, and I mentioned that really briefly before, just finding other content that's out there, that's on the Internet, that's available in these channels, that you can, again, say something relevant about and add something to. And that allows you to very rapidly um, start displaying your thought leadership. You know, you can, you can you know, uh, take a, a clip or, or a pointer to a blog post or a quote from an article and make sure that you do cite it. But you can do that and then put your opinion around that. That very quickly allows you to generate some more content that can be used through to go into all of these channels. The other element of content curation is developing original content, and that means that you've got a team internally that is identifying what are the thought leadership topics that you can put out into the marketplace that are going to make a difference, that are going to get a buzz, that you can stand tall around. 
And that's a, that's a bit more labor intensive. You've got to do the you know the legwork to understand what it is you really can talk about. That's going to be meaningful. But then you've got to create that content. You've got to write it. You've got to potentially develop videos. You've got to look at audio. You've got to look at other multimedia things because those are the the types of assets that are really getting picked up and shared in terms of um, these broader internet digital channels that we've been talking about. So content curation is that can be very hard for a CMO or a marketing organization to get their handles or their mind around or to get a handle on um, because they're so tuned to um, be very tactical. They're tuned to driving lots of campaigns there and mounting uh, big um, you know events and and lead gen and you know web content development and stuff like that. Um, to to really have a department that's focused on developing a lot of content, that is usually a pretty big paradigm shift for marketing organizations, but it's a really vital one. They're not going to survive if they can't start playing in terms of content marketing. Are those the five? Ah, the second one. No, that was actually just the first one. Uh, so the second thing that a, uh, a CMO or a marketing organization needs to pay attention to is really think of all content as social content. So as you're developing a white paper, say, or developing even a product brochure, or you're developing a new product demo or something like that, you need to start thinking about all that content as social content. Um, and that means you need to presume that if it gets you know, put out there on your website that somebody's going to pick it up and share it in a digital form. It, it may end up in some of these social channels, even if you don't do it yourself. And of course, we recommend you do. But even if you don't do it yourself, you should uh, make sure that you think about this content in a social way, that it's got links back to your website, that it's got uh, links to any citations that you've pulled out, say it is a white paper, that it's got interactive elements in it. Are you embedding audio or video elements into your traditional written assets like papers and reports and articles and things of that nature so that when it does, it, it is immediately optimized for delivery into a social channel. So the third thing that we think is really trending for CMOs is that you need to understand your opportunity for in terms of mobile content and mobile platforms in general. So we feel like uh, there is a big opportunity between this, this side of mobile, which is about mobile advertising, and the delivery of content that is optimized for viewing on a mobile device. So we know uh, that the... Uh, that, that the budgets for mobile advertising are increasing. We know we have that data. Um, we also know that the Mobile Marketing Association has uh, set up a, a, a period in which they have created standards and they want people to review and, and, and um, comment on those standards. So what we're really interested in at Ecolo is if I'm going to be marketing to people, if I'm going to be pointing you know, people to these, all these mobile ads on mobile devices, what kind of content is underneath that? What do they point to? And we think there's an opportunity for brands to really think about how to create mobile content that can either be delivered directly as an app or just um, something that exists under a, a click-through ad on a mobile device and really do something kind of fun and interesting there. We don't really see people doing anything like that yet from a, from a business perspective. There's a lot of people doing mobile ads, but they tend to click back to websites. So is there a way to, to actually open up some kind of a mobile experience right on the mobile device from these ads? We think that's kind of interesting. 
Um, the other thing, the other big change that's going on is that um, CMOs and their organizations need to understand that they need to learn how to be video producers. Video is by far the most um, consumed asset type via mobile devices, via social channels, via the internet. And hands down, it just totally is. Um, video is very, very popular now because it's visual, it's you know, it's auditory, it does has all those things that attract people to taking content from us. And from a business perspective, content can be very valuable. So it means that you've got to be able to source stories, whether they're customer stories or your own unique stories, or it's about thought leadership, or it's about some just cool game that allows you to, to um, interact more deeply with a potential audience. Um, you need to figure out how to be doing that all the time. Um, just huge, huge amounts of videos are being consumed. You want to be able to play in that space. And that means you've got to be producing content every day and find a way to do it. And then the fifth, the fifth element that we think is very important for CMOs to pay attention to, and this is why uh, their mandate is changing in 2012, is that um, there's an element of storytelling that is coming into content marketing and content in general. And um, there's, a, there's a, a phrase that uh, has been trending recently. It's called transmedia content. And what that refers to is um, uh, it, it actually got, it was an old storytelling kind of phrase that referred to performance art in, in which you had various medias to tell one story. And so let's fast forward that to April 2012. And an example of transmedia content is one in which there's a story that is serialized and delivered via various media types. So let's say that we start with a, uh, a conversation that's going on, in a, I've got a blog post that talks about uh, some, something really cool that's going on. It then pushes me back to um, the website where another part of that story gets told. And then that pushes me actually to download a mobile application where the rest of the story gets told. So that's just one example of what transmedia content is about. But the reason that is, it is effective in terms of engaging deeply is that it, it makes somebody continue to pick up all of your various media and go to these various channels to continue to interact with you as you continue to sort of tell the same story over and over again. So a good business example of transmedia content is um, I saw recently a campaign that um, uh, Philadelphia cream cheese did, and they had uh, tapped Paula Dean to come in and um, run a recipe contest um, to promote more more recipes with Philadelphia cream cheese, and they called it the Women of Philadelphia. So they had Paula Dean doing videos. They had recipes that were being posted on the website as well as um, uh, being commented on and added to by the user community. Uh, they then also had an application in which you could you know, cook with Paula Deen and stuff like that. So that's a good example of transmedia, where the story kind of is serialized and told over a variety of media assets. And, and those are the five things that we think are really changing why CMOs need to think about content marketing or how they think about content marketing in 2012. Lori, one of the things that comes to my mind when I hear the description that you just shared with us, and thank you for that detailed description, is who has time on the receiving end, never mind the producing end, to absorb all of this with the frequency that you're describing. Is there any kind of research that outlines the amount of this 
content that is being consumed in these channels? You know, I'm not familiar with an actual measurement of the amount of content. The kind of measurements that we do have available to us are those that measure the um, the number of people that are participating in these social spaces, um, the number of downloads that they're taking, uh, the types of content that they take more frequently. Um, we actually are very interested. We're, we're uh, preparing a survey right now in which we're trying to find out what is it about these specific content types in terms of their elements, their voice, their tone, their level of interactivity, et cetera, that um, – these these digital users, what makes them think it's really valuable? You know, what is it about that that allows them to engage more deeply? Um, and everything tells us, in terms of the information we do have, is that these channels are they they live and breathe content. There's really nothing that goes on in these channels that isn't about information sharing. And um, the reality is is that these consumers, both business consumers as well as business customers, are um, are, are, are consuming vast quantities of content, and that is the way that they now have decided that they want to engage with you. So it does seem overwhelming. It really, really does. And so for a small business or a medium-sized business or an enterprise, the fact is, is that you've got to be able to start thinking about uh, deploying some of your marketing resources to content marketing and being able to have adequate resources to be able to participate in these conversations. Is this need to have a presence on these channels with the frequency that you've described going to change the playing field and squeeze out the small players? I don't actually think so. Uh, what I think is more relevant, Elena, is uh, if you've got people that are willing to to kind of have those conversations and participate in those channels already, meaning if you've got younger people on your team that are already kind of playing around in those channels, I would tap them. I would tap them as resources to help me understand, I guess I'm dating myself, as an older executive, uh, I would uh, ask them to help me understand how to be relevant in these channels and to use them. So I don't think it's it's that I have less resources. It's about having the right type of resources. And it definitely requires um, resources that are thinking about communicating. Um, uh, I think writers are a are great staff member to have on your, uh, you know, on your, your, your team um, and ensuring that you can get the right resources to be able to play. Um, because I don't think enterprises have any advantage here in terms of understanding how to participate appropriately in these channels. Matter of fact, I think they have a lot of legacy um, processes in the marketing organization that they, they're the ones that frankly have to retool everything they're doing to be able to play effectively in this space, whereas a smaller organization might be more nimble and, and uh, get faster to market. How do you decide if you're this nimble organization or if you're the slower-moving big organization, either way, how do you decide what percent of your resources to allocate to these efforts? Is there some magic formula that you can share with us? Um, historic, well, not historically. I would say in uh, data published this year, starting in January of 2012, we started to see data 
that about one quarter to one third of um, marketing budgets for U.S. companies were being allocated to content marketing. Um, at the same time, in those, those same data sets, these marketer, same marketers told us that they, were, they felt like they were going to increase that. So starting right now at about one third to one quarter <clears throat> of budgets being allocated to content marketing, and we know that's going to increase. Um, so I think that one-third to one-quarter mark would be a great place for a, a company to sort of start, to sort of say, I need to, like, allocate, you know, X amount of my budget of, of this larger amount to content marketing and um, move forward from there. I think that would be a reasonable kind of um, measure to use. Is there a further insight in terms of, which of these, because you've shared several things, five things to be specific, that content marketing managers should be doing this year, right now, not in the future. And we've talked about different types of channels, three of them without going into the specifics of individual channels. It just seems like so much and so many choices to make. Is there a way to narrow this down, and how do you get started? Yeah, I think it, it, there is a way to narrow it down, Elena. And I think the first part is is finding the voice. What do you really want to talk about? What What do you want to say uh, that you can then start developing into some content assets or or some communications assets that will be relevant to your audience? So let's assume that you've done the work of knowing, yep, you know what, I'm going to play in these channels. I'm going to start doing these kinds of articles over here. I'm going to join this discussion over there. Let's say you've done that work and you know that you're, you have a community there that you want to participate in. Um, find out what the story is that you want to tell that's actually going to resonate with those, with those end users um, so that they'll engage with you appropriately. And um, that, you know, is actually kind of a small, modest kind of effort. What is the story? What is our thought leadership? What do we want to be known for in our industry or our niche or around our product set? Um, and make sure it's not about you, but make sure it's about what's going on in the industry and about around your customer's pain. So I think you can take a step there. Um, the next thing you can do is, is make moderate gains. You know, don't feel like you've uh, got to go out and, and, you know, if you don't have the budget to run one of these big campaigns and hire Paula Dean and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, do what you can do. Um, the, the thing that is really important here is consistency. So, you know, make that commitment that you're going to communicate once or twice a week in these specific communities and get your feet wet. You know, learn how, how you feel and, you know, how your brand is accepted and how is that going. And then I think that will give you information and data that you can use to plan your next steps. So I think it's about starting small and being thoughtful, being very clear about, um, you know, having the bravery to, to come out and have an opinion about something and um, and kind of learning as you go. Start small, be thoughtful, have an opinion, and learn as you go. Yes, that very nice encapsulation. Is it the same message across the board? I understand that the message should be about the industry rather than about you and your brand. But should the message be the same across the board, or do you need to adjust that message depending on what forum you're at and what methods you're using? 
my feeling is that the message needs to be the same. Now, uh, when I have a conversation with somebody in a specific channel, there are um, kind of rules of etiquette in that channel, and there are, you know, sort of, they kind of set the tone for how they want you to communicate with them. So there may be a voice and tone change. But the fact is, is that you as a, as a company, you know, this is, this is your thought leadership strategy that you're taking out to the marketplace. So that needs to be the same um, in terms of these one-on-one -on -one conversations or one-to-many conversations that you may be having in a social channel to what they're going to see potentially if they visit your website and want to download more information or interact with you deeply there to what might be reported um, about you in a conversation from your CMO to a trade pub. The, the, the story about your vision for the industry, that's what needs to stay consistent, and that's you know having your message points lining up around that. Um, the way you talk to each channel, I think that's you know can be fairly unique to the channel. What about measurement? How do you measure the results or the effectiveness of what you're doing so that you can determine what to do more of, what to do less of, and what is actually having the intended effect? Well, that is, a, that is such a good question, and it's one that there are lots of good vendors that are coming into the market right now, Elena, to get a handle on, to help companies understand how to track the effectiveness of content marketing. Certainly, there's lots of good ones out there that are helping to track the return on social strategy and things of that nature. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're a little bit esoteric uh, in terms of, I mean, you have to do a lot of work to understand what the right inputs are and, and what, is the, what are the appropriate things that you then want to measure against. But it's, it is worth putting the effort into understanding that. Um, there's not a hard and fast rule from one company to the other or one vendor to another that might, you know, assist you in doing this. But the thing is, is, is you must do it, you know, getting your return and uh, ensuring you've got a return is becoming much much more critical, more and more critical as time passes. I understand, I think intuitively, that if you're in certain types of business, you were talking earlier about retail, and uh, I think it was Philadelphia cream cheese and Red Bull and so forth, that you're at this point where it's almost compulsory that you must have social media presence. Are there types of businesses, going back to business to business, or certain services that really are not conducive, that the, the social media channels and the way that you connect in these channels are not conducive or not ideal for social media, something that it just requires an in-person or a different kind of communication. What can you tell us about that? I think, Elena, um, there are businesses where where that would not be, uh, where social social media would not be your best channel, um, and I think that's something that each company needs to understand and decide for themselves. And 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 let me add a caveat to what I just said. I think right now there are probably some businesses, some service areas, some areas of the world, some geographies uh, where you potentially want to do business, where social channels are not going to be um, right for you right now. I think that there, it, going forward in time, they'll be, you know, that, that distinction will go away. We'll all be enabled. We'll all be very used to getting information via social channels and, you, and finding out the right way that they work for us in terms of 
being consumers or being business customers and getting in the information that we need. But right now, uh, there's definitely going to be areas of the world, um, areas of service, areas of products and solution, and audience types that are just not using those channels yet. I mean, there's a lot of people online and there's a lot of people using these channels, but not all of them. And, um, you know, we don't want to pretend like, you know, our customers might not be on there because they might not be. Um, but that takes, and the way you figure that out, it takes us back to um, who's, your, who's your audience? Are they in these channels? Can you reach them there in a reasonable way? And does your buying cycle, you know, is it appropriately served through that channel? Or as you said, is there, is it more important for me to have a storefront? Or is it more important for me to, you know, have all these other elements? And given my budget, I might choose investing in that before I would social. What about mom and pops and, say, government entities, say, nonprofits that are just battling to understand the concepts and maybe on a shoestring or no budget, what would you, what would you say in terms of the urgency that they be there? Is this a do or die situation? What kind of time is involved? Huh. Well, I think there's a couple of criteria here that we're talking about. Number one is if I'm a small company, a mom and pop, as you had described, um, if I need to drive more revenue, then I would look at social channels and I would do the, take the time to investigate, again, is my audience there? Do I have something cogent to say? And then I would put my toe in and I would start participating. If I don't need to drive any more revenue right now, if I've got all the business I can handle, then I would not probably choose to experiment with that. Um, if, if my, if I, cause I think you're describing a situation in which resources are fairly constrained, um, in which I, I, in which I don't really know how to use these channels. But if I, um, if I need more business and I need to create a more loyal um, customer base and I need to, um, you know, expand my audience set or my, cu my customer type, then I would find a way to move into social channels. And, I, and it, it means if I really am a small company, it means that I, as, am, as the owner-operator, would be teaching myself how to do that and, um, you know, finding, using the Internet to find the channels that, that I think are interesting to my end users and seeing if I can participate in that community, start having conversations and posting some information, um, perhaps start with a blog in which you've got opinions about what's going on in the, you know, in that community and, and go from there. Um, but it is going to be a little bit of uh, legwork to kind of get going in, in that space. I'm thinking some people that, that for some people it's occurring to them, try that sentence again, I think it's occurring to some people that maybe they don't have to participate themselves. Maybe their assistant or the person who handles marketing or the receptionist might be able to do some of this legwork. What is your response to that? Um, I say, boy, if you've got somebody else that can do it that is interested and, know, and has experience with these channels, consider yourself really lucky. <laughs> I think that's a great thing. Um, that doesn't relieve CMOs and CEOs and, and you know, senior level executives 
from potentially helping the cause of their organization, whether it's a business uh, enterprise or a consumer-facing company or a small organization. Um, there's benefit to be gained by various people within the organization participating and, and getting behind the idea of, in order to engage more deeply, I've got to think about generating content for my company, and original content, and commenting on third-party content. Um, but I think most organizations start with designating people within their organization that do that. So if you've got an assistant or if you've got a marketing person, you know, sit down with them and say, hey, I think we need to start experimenting with these channels. How can we do it? How do you control the message if you've got several people from your organization or if you've got your receptionist or your babysitter or whoever you think has the knowledge? How do you control that message? Because you might be targeting an audience that's very senior level and now you have a junior level person out there on the keyboard. Yeah, I think that that is a, a little bit of a, you know, puts you between a rock and a hard place. So, you know, that is, that is something very important to consider. But the reality is, is that if you've got multiple people in your organization who are, uh, you've asked to participate in social or content marketing, um, you need to create guidelines. You need to make sure that um, they understand what your objectives are, the, the, the points of your message, that you've evangelized it with these internal teams that have been um, given permission to participate socially. And then you've just, just got to trust the process. You've got to let them go. The whole point of social media is it does have that personal immediacy. And you can't take that away from them in order, if you do, you'll be taking away one of their factors of success. So you've got to permit them to do that, but you can train them internally to um, understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, you do check-ins with them, and obviously, you know, you make sure that they, they're following through on that. Uh, but the other part of the whole social and content marketing side of it is that people you know, they pull your content. They comment on it and they interact with it. And it can definitely go places where you're not expecting it to go. Uh, and that's why, uh, to a certain extent, these participating in these kind of channels takes a bit of bravery um, because you can't control that anymore. I mean, they're pulling it uh, to themselves and doing what they want. Um, so the best thing you can do is create guidelines and um, regularly keep the team apprised of any kind of changes to those or, you know, give them regular feedback on how they're doing. These efforts that you've outlined for us, these five things that content marketing managers should be looking to do or companies who want to do content marketing right now, how much time would you say, maybe a range of time, that it, you can expect that it will take you to accomplish or at least get started on these five things? Well, I think uh, the mandate requires companies to really look close, uh, get started on that immediately. I was going to say look closely, but no, you need to stop looking and you need to jump in. Uh, basically, you've got to start transforming your marketing organization. If it's a large marketing organization, you need to start looking at bringing on writers. You need to start thinking about a content curator. You need to start bringing on people that are going to be doing video who can serialize and tell stories across um, a variety of media and format types. Um, if you're a smaller organization, you need to start thinking like a content marketer. You need to start having that opinion and finding a way to share it, whether you start doing some blog posting, whether you start um, uh, publishing articles on your website, uh, whether you start 
developing thought leadership papers, you know, you've just got to start knowing that your story, your story actually is the thing that is the most compelling part of your brand these days. And these channels, the internet, digital channels, social channels, are what are what permit you to share that and what creates the demand for that from your end users. And if you were to start, let's just say today, about how much time would it take you to get a basic set of all of these five things going? Or a range of time, say one month, three months, a year? How much of an investment, an initial investment do you need to make? You know, I would say that you can certainly understand uh, whether your target audiences are participating in various channels, and you can understand what your message needs to be to them, what your story is, in other, in other words, in like two months, you know, two, three months tops. And start doing your first forays into, you know, generating some content that um, is intended to communicate with them around this message within those channels. I think another three months after that, so you're talking about maybe six months from the time that you're starting, that's when you really need to be like, are we generating some really hefty content types? Meaning, am I creating some video? Do I have some white papers or reports that I can use? Do I have articles generated? Do I have, you know, do I potentially have some customers and some customer stories that I can start developing that I can like share with these specific channels? So I think you would um, be able to make some good headway within about six months. And when you say good headway, mean getting things rolling. How soon would you expect to see results, or are they one and the same? Yeah, that's a good question, Elena, because I think a lot of people do think the results uh, are the same as just creating assets. They think they are the one and the same. Um, you know, the fact is, is that you can, you know, once these assets are created, you can put them out into the marketplace and immediately see how they're doing. They can get imme- immediately be getting commented on. Uh, they can immediately start generating downloads and you know things of that nature. Um, so the results, again, depending on what your results requirements are, if it's really to engage more deeply and create more loyalty for your brand, um, I, I think again you're probably you know probably about a three three months is what I would use to evaluate that in a realistic way. So let's say that I I went through my initial three months and I got my message down. I, I figured out which channels I want to play in because I know my audiences are there. So I, I, I get myself going. I start doing blog posting or I get something going. And then I start developing some assets around those messages that I'm feeling strongly really resonate with my marketplace. And I start putting them out there. I would say, you know, once you get to about another two, three months after that, after those assets have really started to be in the marketplace, that I would expect to see some results. I would either expect to see more web traffic or more um, interest in my brand, uh, people commenting on my blog, you know, likes on my Facebook page, whatever the tools are that I'm using. I, I would want to see results in, in um, you know, just a few months after that. So let's say we've got three months to get started, three months to create my assets, another couple months to really see good results. You're probably talking about, you know, eight to nine months to, to really feel like you've got a strategy that's generating something back for you or a content marketing strategy that's re- giving you a return. You've mentioned videos several times. What can you tell us in a nutshell about video production? It sounds to me 
when I hear you discuss these five things, that videos are a, a cr- critical part of that, not just because you mentioned them by themselves, but I think you also mentioned them when you talked about transmedia content marketing. Mm-hmm. So you, in terms of understanding video production, is that um, what you'd like to zero in on here? Just a, a very brief, because of course we would need to have another discussion probably just on the videos, <laughs> but just a very brief, if you're looking to include videos in this plan, what essentials must you keep in mind? Are we talking about a 15-second video or are we talking about a an hour-long video? What kinds of elements should it have? What what little nuggets would you share with us in relation to that aspect of the the five things so um, video I think is a very very important asset when it comes to um, content marketing in terms of participating in social channels in terms of just how end users these days like to consume information and like to interact and share with each other the fact is is we've got great technologies now that permit everybody to create a two-minute video of, of themselves dancing and lip-syncing to you know, um, uh, a Beyonce song and putting it up on the internet, and um, that's and it's a, it creates a great sense of sharing and fun. And so, but how how do businesses really focus on creating video? Because it is an expensive line item, or it can be. Um, and really, the range of options that you've got for video are you can do very high end produced corporate videos that perhaps leverage a customer telling their story about how they got involved with you. Perhaps you've got some of your people in your organization who are particularly good at at, um, sharing thought leadership and vision. You can get some video around that. And you can spend quite a lot of money on that. And there are lots of production companies that still do that. And I still think there is a place for that type of video. Uh, Particularly if you're in the B2B space, there is an expectation, I find, for, for one business to give video to another as part of engaging with them. They expect the quality to be a bit higher. Um, however, there are lots of great options for um, smaller businesses and those that are focusing specifically on, on consumers to do and create video that are much less expensive. Um, Skype, for example, has a pretty good um, video uh, capability. The thing, if you're, especially if you're just going to be interviewing somebody and getting their thought leadership or finding out what's trending in the industry or something like that, the thing to remember is it's a fairly flat uh, experience. You're not getting lots of cutaways and shots of like, you know, um, buildings and scenery and equipment being made and, and um, uh, solutions being used or, you know, anything like that. It really is just kind of a talking head. However, if it's, if it's used well, you know, you know, no longer than perhaps a, a one- to two-minute video interview, it can be very effective. Um, uh, a lot of the high-def cameras that are available now, and I'm not, I'm not speaking now about the ones that you would find on your iPhone or other smartphones, uh, but I'm speaking about some of the high-def cameras that you can purchase that are not terribly expensive, but you can shoot your own video with and get a little bit more um, cutaways and fl- you know different kinds of shots and stuff like that and get a little bit more energetic flavor. I think those also work in terms of actual production options. So there's, there's a range of things that you can do from very expensive to not so expensive to actually fairly inexpensive when it comes to producing video. But what's really more relevant, I think, with video is really, you know, do you have a subject matter that's relevant and important? And again, if you're focusing on a B2B audience, it's it's really going to be around thought leadership and um, how do am I telling you something that's that's giving you information you didn't get before? 
Uh, are you hearing from one of my existing customers about how great uh, our relationship is and how we solve these certain problems for them? Um, so it starts to be about that message again, in other words. Um, if you're fo focusing on a consumer audience, um, you know, they, it, it, there's, there's kind of a trend right now where you try to be fairly witty and, and again, try to create something that people might pass around and, and that could possibly be, be viral. Um, and that tends to be something that people kind of find either funny or embarrassing or silly in some way. Um, something interesting to keep in mind regarding the messages or the content behind a video, Elena, that I think your, your, your listeners would be really interested in is that, you know, we're all consumers. We're all in our day-to-day -day lives. We're all consuming, you know, goods that are sold to us pretty directly by brands that we all recognize. And when we go to work each day to work in a B2B company where we're trying to sell to another business, the thing that's, that all of these, uh, that content marketing and these social channels have really created for us is, is, is really something that I call the consumer, consumerization of the B2B audience, the consumerization of business content, if you will, in that because these channels are so immediate, and they rely a great deal on personality, the brand personality being willing to come through and being brave enough to engage in conversations that can be shared and commented on and that you don't really have a lot of control over. That's a fairly human brand and a very human element that comes into these communications. And so when I'm a B2B person, I, um, my, my opportunity in terms of using content marketing in these social channels is to consumerize how I relate to these B2B companies. So my content becomes a little bit more whimsical. It loses some of the um, corporate shadow, if you will, you know, kind of behind closed doors, what really goes on, starts to go away. And um, I start to have a more human kind of interaction with my B2B counterparts that feeds off of the fact that, you know, we're all consumers anyway, and we're used to engage, you know, it feels comfortable to engage that way. So if you're successful in kind of bringing that humanity to your business video communications, that's, that's a really great thing, and, and, um, and I think some companies are doing fairly well with it. What three very brief, say, one-sentence tips would you share with us in parting that our listeners who are thinking of dipping their toes or are dipping their toes and are not sure whether they're doing it right might be able to learn from. So three short, succinct tips to leave them with. I think the first one is find out what your story is. What is the unique thing that you can say that will resonate with your customers? Um, then I think uh, be willing to start. Be willing to start small if you need to, but be willing to start and start experimenting with putting that message out there. And then I think the third thing is don't get discouraged. It really takes some, some comfort with these social channels in order to feel like you really know what you're doing. And it takes comfort with content marketing and developing content marketing to feel like you know what you're doing. So don't get discouraged. Just keep trying. In summary, find out what's unique about you and your product or brand. Be willing to get started. Take that chance. And don't get discouraged. Yes, I think that sounds great. Thank you, Lori, for joining us from San Francisco, California. Yes, it's, it has been very fun to talk with you today, Elena. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Lori Lowe, who is CEO of Ecolo Media, who discussed why content marketing is changing the CMO mandate, five things your team must do differently in 2012.
Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the HispanicNPR.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at HispanicNPR.com. That's editor at HispanicNPR.com. 